0: Our scripture today is Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. It reads Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm humbled and honored to be able to fill in for Tim uh, while he is with Patty during her first week of treatment for severe chronic pain. So far, the report has been encouraging. I'm so glad about that. Um, I'm also very encouraged just to see how the Lord has been providing for them. And um, it's just amazing to see that uh, Jesus is with them and uh, um, continue to pray for Patty that uh, um, just that God heals her and that this season will come to a, a swift end. I'm excited to be here this morning. I'm, I'm excited because I have some friends here to be a part of this from Marshalltown. So thank you, friends, for coming to be, um, to be part of this morning with us. I'm thankful that my wife is here. Uh, she told me yesterday that she almost volunteered for nursery, uh, but she thought maybe that wasn't the thing to do. Um, it was kind of like, I love you whether or not you bomb, but I don't know that I want to witness it. So, but she's she's enduring suffering, and she's going to be in here with us today. I'm excited about our text. And it, in Romans chapter 5, and and. The reason I'm excited about our text is actually I feel like the Lord really put this text on my heart months ago and it stayed there. And it's really done a work in me. And some of the circumstances of my life have kind of gotten tied back into the text that we're in. And one of them has been a friend who is also kind of in a similar place in life. And and this text is about identity and and he was been, he's just been so blessed by what Jesus has been telling him about identity. And he shared with me this week, not, not even related to Romans 5, but just how when we understand God's identity for us, it, it, it's so powerful. It is able to transform our church. It's able to transform our neighborhoods. It's, it's able to transform everything about our life. And that has me encouraged. But I'm not necessarily as encouraged, just that you guys would know the text better today. But what, but what really excites me is that I know God is personal, and I know God speaks, and I know that what really transforms our identity is when He speaks our identity to us. And so really, what I want to do this morning through our text is honestly to just remove any barriers that you may have to hearing from God about your identity. Because it's through that, it's through God, that we experience transformation. So as I said, Romans 5 is about identity. And actually, what we're going to get into today is there's four senses that we have that are rooted in knowing our correct identity. And those senses are peace, grace, hope, and love. And so, with that, let's go ahead and pray together before we get started. Lord, we need to hear from you because yours is the only voice that matters in regards to who we are. And so, Lord because we need to hear from you, I ask that you would silence the enemy. I pray that you would stop his lies. I pray that you would send him away from this place so that we can be here in the quiet and able to clearly hear from you about who we are. And I just ask that as we work our way through this text, that you would guide my words, that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Who are you? Who are you really deep down inside? Who are you? The answer to the question of who you are determines your sense of peace, grace, hope, and love. Or, to put this negatively, who you think you are could possibly lead to a sense of conflict, like angst, anxiousness just being unsettled on the inside failure i just i just don't measure up where i'm at in my life has is not what i expected it to be or that you live in a wasteland of scarcity the church the church it's it's so disappointing people it shouldn't be this way this place is dark. Or that you don't belong. I just, I just feel like I'm, I'm invisible. I don't feel comfortable where I'm at. If any of those or all of those describe you, your life, you might fill your life with simple pleasures, busyness, routine, Or worst case scenario, addictions. And that that last one was me. Addictions. So that you're too occupied and numb to have to face the question of who you are because it scares you. The good news is though, is there is immediate access to a sense of who you really are, how God sees you and all of those positive senses can actually come online in a moment right now so let's get into the good news verse chapter 1 of verse 1 of chapter 5 of Romans begins therefore since you have been justified by faith so what does it mean to be justified justified is a legal term and it describes the act of declaring someone right or righteous. So we ask ourselves, how can I, who I know am not righteous, be declared righteous? Righteousness is not my identity. It's just not who I am. And that is a good question. And even the prophets of the Old Testament, that was a mystery to them. Let's read about one of those prophets, Moses. We read about him in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7, which says, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? So how, asks Moses, can God forgive the guilty and not clear the guilty. And the answer to that question comes when Jesus comes in the great exchange. So Jesus comes, Emmanuel, God with us. He comes as a baby. He lives a completely righteous life. And then in his 30s, he died by execution on a Roman cross. And in Romans chapter 4, verses 24 and 25, it tells us that Jesus, when he died on the cross, was delivered to the wrath of God for our trespass and raised for our justification. So Jesus takes my guilt and I get his righteousness. God can show steadfast love because I'm no longer guilty and, and he can by no means clear the guilty because I'm not not guilty because Jesus paid for my guilt. Our text says that we have been justified and this is important, that we have been is a translation of a Greek verb tense that we don't have in English. So we have past, present, and future. This Greek tense is past, present, and future all packed into one tight little package. So it works like this. It says that Jesus, in an initial event in the past, declares, declares us righteous. If you're a follower of his, he declares you righteous. And then Jesus follows you around in the present going, righteous, righteous, righteous. You're righteous. You're righteous. You're righteous. And we know for sure that in the future, those who are his, he will still be declaring them righteous. You're righteous. And it all begins with a great exchange. My story of when I crossed the line of faith also involves another great exchange verse in the Bible. So when I was a teenager, I was diagnosed with a very mild form of dyslexia. And during that time in my life, my parents went to a very traditional Baptist church that still used the King James Version. And mild dyslexia does not mesh very well with the good King James. And I would be asked frequently to, to read publicly in Sunday school class. And it, it just led to me being embarrassed. And so during this time, I was not very spiritually interested But I knew I had a need to sort out my these from my vows, and so I thought I would practice midweek. And so I went into my room, and my plan was I was just going to let my Bible fall open to wherever it landed, and I was going to practice reading wherever it landed. And it opened to Galatians chapter 2. And when I got down to verse 20, I read, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I... But Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And when I began reading that verse, I had unspiritual eyes. When I got to the end of that verse, Jesus flipped on the faith switch, and I knew it was true, and I knew that an exchange had just happened. had just happened in the background of my identity and that was that my identity died on the cross with Jesus but yet I'm still living but I'm not living my life I'm living the life that Jesus gave to me so he took my guilt and I got his righteousness he took my death And I got his life. It was the great exchange. Our verse says it was by faith that we get this. If you have not yet crossed the line of faith, let me reassure you that there are no hoops that you need to jump through to become a follower of Jesus. Jumping through hoops is not genuine, and Jesus knows that, and Jesus wants truth. So it works like this. You hear a proclamation of the gospel, the Great Exchange, or like in my case, you read it. And something inside of you says, I hope that's true. I really need that to be true. And then Jesus comes and he flips the switch of faith and you go, oh, I know that's true. I know it. Something inside me just knows it. And the Holy Spirit breathes life into you. And that's the faith. So that's the identity piece. Let's get into the senses. Verse 1 still. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, you remember, Jesus is following us around, declaring us righteous. But let's make this actually a little more accurate. Where is God, the Father? Well, He's omnipresent, right? So, everywhere? Yes. But that's not relationally true. You see, When the earth became cursed, the Trinity, the three persons of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are holy, and so they're separated from sin. So they're they're separated. And Scripture tells us that God the Father is waiting for when He decides to end the curse and make all things new. And when he ends the curse and he makes all things new, he's going to come and he's going to set up his tent or he's going to set up his home amongst us again. But we're in an in-between time waiting for that day to happen. So where is Jesus? Well, we invite Jesus into our heart, right? So he's either in our heart or somewhere nearby, waiting to be invited in? Well, that's not really how Jesus describes it. So if you remember when Tim took us through the book of John, Jesus is with his disciples, and they're walking, and Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I'm going to go away, and where I go, you can't come. And to comfort them, he says, I'm going to send another. Well, where did Jesus go? Well, scripture tells us that where Jesus went was to be on the Father's right side. And what's he doing on the Father's right side? He's advocating for you. So he is standing beside the Father, the Father that will by no means clear the guilty and has steadfast love. He's standing by the Father and he's going, She's mine. That guy standing next to her, well, he's mine too. He's mine, she's mine. That one over there, that one's mine. There's no iniquity in that one. They're mine. So he's advocating with the Father. The Father is showing steadfast love so that there's peace. There's peace. There used to be judgment. There used to be separation. But now there's peace. But our verse doesn't say that this is God's peace. It says we have peace This is our peace that we possess. And it's not a, I hope to be peaceful someday. I hear heaven's peaceful. I can't wait to get there. It's not that. This is right now. We have it right now. It's right now peace. It's also not a kind of come and go peace. It's not, man, I really blew it. I'm going to join Laura in nursery. I'm going to volunteer and I'm going to read my Bible. And I'm going to wait for my peace to come back. It's not that. We always have it. This is a peace that, because it doesn't depend on us. Who's it through? It's through Jesus. So this is a peace that we have, that we can have right now. But, it's not automatic. And I want to bring this up because you might be like me in that I knew I was saved. This, I, from the moment I read that verse, I knew I was saved. And I felt great for a while, but then I was still at conflict. I, I still didn't really know who I was. And so I had, I had lots and lots of conflict in my heart. Why did I have conflict? Well. The reason I had conflict is just because I was saved doesn't mean that I couldn't believe a lie. And there's a liar that's still active, and he's going around lying, and he's telling people the same lie that he told Eve in the Garden of Eden. Is God really that good? I mean, if he's that great, why does it seem like he's withholding from you? I think, I think what you should do in order to feel fulfilled and happy is to take your desires and your pleasure into your own hands and get it for yourself. And so I did that. You could do that. I did that. And as soon as we do that, the liar comes back and he goes, Oh, you are so naked. Oh, I can't believe how naked you are. That is such a shame. You are so shameful. God's not going to like this. No, he's not. He's a holy God. He's not going to like this. You better go hide from him. And we believe a lie. Well, how do we, how do we get our peace? Well, we tell the liar, you're a liar. And we say... What you're saying is completely true. But it's true of my dead identity. It's not true of my new one. Jesus took all of that shame and he took it to the cross with him and it's no longer true. I don't have to hide from God. I can be amongst him and I can have peace. So he sends peace. And when we do this, when we do this, There is no conflict running in the background at all. The angst is gone. It was gone for me. Let's talk about grace. So verse 2, it says, Through him we have been given access into this grace in which we stand. So we have peace through Jesus, and now also through Jesus we have been granted access to stand in grace. So this is written like a ticket like we go inside a place. So we can go inside a place, because we have a ticket, and it's a place of grace. And grace means undeserved favor or reward. So outside this place that we need a ticket to get into, it's kill or be killed, do or die, eye for an eye, loser buys lunch, and only good posts gets liked or retweets. But inside this place that we get a ticket to stand into is a lavish banquet put together by God himself. And in this banquet, we find our place. It's a seat that has our name on it. It's who we are, it's tied to our identity. And in that place that we sit, there's a card and we open up the card and what does the card say? It says, well done, well done, well done. Yes, yes, well done. Now, if you think about this, it's pretty scandalous. I sin, Jesus declares me righteous, and I get a well done. I sin, I get reward. If I said this at least a fraction of how clearly as Paul said it, your response very likely could be the same as his audience. And that was, this can't be. There's a a theological imbalance here. Uh, There's probably some proof texting going on. There's no way this works this way. So let's read Paul's response to that same response from the audience together. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, it says, "'What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means.'" How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Huh, my identity is dead. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Great exchange. He dies, we get life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self, our old identity, was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. How does grace... How does sin not abound? It's brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has any dominion over him. For the death, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Great exchange, great exchange, great exchange. There is nothing written in Paul's response about an unwritten law that comes online after you get saved. You have died to the law. Do not think that you died to a law that sends you to hell but only gets you into the lobby of heaven. It's also not like flying Allegiant. We'll get you there with the clothes on your back But I was was expecting crowns. Where's my crowns? Well, let's see. Crowns, crowns, crowns. Let's look up the fees for the crowns. It's not like that. We have died. Our identity has died. Grace has been secured for us, so we can stand and are well done. In verse 11 in Romans chapter 6, Paul explains standing in grace. He says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. He says, you stand in grace by knowing your identity. Consider yourself. Who are you? I'm alive to God. What's your relationship to sin? I'm dead to it. Standing in grace is enjoying the favor of God because you know your identity is alive and sin can no longer rob you of your well done. Verse 2 continues to the next sense where it says, And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So the great exchange changes our identity so that we can own peace, no internal conflict. We stand in grace. I have the sense of being fulfilled and accomplished. And now I have hope because because of the glory of God. And so therefore, I rejoice. So what is the glory of God? Well, that is a question there is no way to do justice for today. So in short, the glory of God is the bigness of God's identity. He is the God who speaks stars into existence and who provides for every sparrow. And we hope in that. How do we hope in that? Do you, well, if you remember last week, Tim told us in Psalm 23, verse 3, which says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. God is a rescuing God, it's who He is, it's His name. And because of that, He leads us in paths of righteousness. And so we can bank on it. We can count on it. That we know when we hide our old identity in Jesus' in Jesus's identity, that he will lead us in paths of righteousness. There's no way he's going to let us down because it's the core of who God is. as He is a rescuing God. So our verse says, so we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I like that. I really like that. I could put that on a t-shirt and wear it. I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But there's a not only that. And not only that, it feels like a, but wait, there's more. I like more. I like lots and lots of more. Let's get the other t-shirt coming. Let's get it on Amazon. I'm waiting for the t-shirt. It's like one of those subscriptions where you don't know what's in the box. The box comes, you open it up, and it says, but we rejoice in suffering. Oh. I'm probably not going to wear that t-shirt. It's kind of weird, isn't it? I rejoice in suffering. Yay, suffering! Woo-hoo! Let's give suffering a woot-woot. Now, this isn't going over as well as it did when the Keens were up here, because they're woot-woot people, and I'm not. So, but we're going to give suffering a woot-woot. Hey, let's maybe start over here. We'll start a wave, and when the wave comes down, we're going to all go, suffering! Yay! No, that's weird. How is that? How can that be? Well, let's read what the text says. It says, so we, it says, and we also, but we also rejoice in suffering because suffering leads to endurance and endurance leads to character and character leads to hope. So here's here's what I think this is talking about. So we start we start going through our lives and we we realize pretty quickly that lives involve suffering. And so we we have our identity transformed by Jesus, and so we're experiencing Jesus, we're experiencing hope, you're experiencing peace and grace, and suffering hits, and we cry out to God and we say, God help me, this is really hard, I'm suffering, and it's really difficult. And we're in the season of waiting for God to help. And we sense in this season, even though maybe the suffering is still there, but we sense the glory of God is present with us. And it's somehow sustaining us. And it's, it can be kind of hard to explain. It can be like something happens, an encouraging word external circumstances, but we go, oh, that was, that was the glory of God. That was in my suffering with me. And that season of suffering passes, and then around the corner another one comes up, and so we enter into this new season of suffering, and, but yet we, we remember that the past season, and it's like, oh yeah, that I've been through this before, and before the glory of God does this, I, I wonder if it's going to do it again. And because it's his name, it's who he is, the glory of God does it again. and He helps us endure suffering, so he helps us endure the suffering, and then that happens over and over again. And we begin to be like when we enter into these times, it becomes automatic, and we just expect the glory of God. And becomes part of our character. And it makes us able to be hopeful regardless of our circumstance. And we can thank suffering for that because suffering provides the context for endurance. And endurance provides the context for character development. And it's through that character development that we've experienced the hope of God over and over and over again that it becomes part of who we are, and we become hopeful people. So to close this, close this out in verse 5, it says this, and hope does not put us to shame because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So I'm going to ask that during this time that you become honest with yourselves Does God seem distant to you? Does he seem far off? Does supernatural activity in your life seem scarce? I'd like to present to you the possibility, because I spent much of my Christian life feeling that way, I was on the outside looking in that miracles were happening for other people but they weren't happening for me but yet I was still a follower of Jesus so I want to present the possibility that there might be a lie present why? well, let me ask you where was God? where's God the Father? he's separate waiting to make his home here again where's Jesus? he's at the Father's side advocating for us Well, where's the third person, the Holy Spirit? Our text says he's been given to us. Well, how can that be? This earth is still cursed. He's separate from us. The earth is cursed. But if you're in Christ, you're not. You're not cursed. He can be present with you. And it promises here that he is. And it says that hope will not disappoint us. Why? Because you constantly have the Holy Spirit with you. And what's the Holy Spirit doing? He is receiving the love of God, and it's being poured into our hearts. Poured has this idea of abundance. It's just abundantly being poured out. When Marshalltown had the tornado come through, a guy told me that he was running from the tornado in his car, And he was traveling on Main Street, heading out of town. And when you go on Main Street outside of Marshalltown to the west, you go past a lake. It's a man-made lake. And he said when he went past the lake, he saw the tornado lift up. And he says, it wasn't raining. He said it was like that whole lake got dropped on the top of my car. And that's the Holy Spirit. It's like the Holy Spirit. He's being dropped on you right now in abundance. But sometimes we don't feel it, and that's because there's a lie that's present. So I'm just going to ask you guys right now, we can just go to the Lord in prayer. So let's just pray with me right now. Lord, we need to hear from you because none of this matters unless you reveal to us who we really are. So I ask right now in the silence that you would speak to us. And if there is a lie, that you would reveal it to the person that it's affecting. That you would search our hearts and that you would show it to them. So right now, there might be some some of you that something is coming to your mind. Things like disappointment, Regret. Oh, I've I'm just a terrible parent. I'm I'm rejected. I'm I'm invisible. If that is getting revealed to you, I want you to know it's not getting revealed to you as an accuser. God is not accusing you of that, but he wants you to know it. And the reason he wants you to know it is because what he wants you to know is regret, disappointment, terrible parent, all those things he killed when he killed Jesus on the cross. He killed it. And so it's dead. And that lie is dead in you right now. And maybe right now you're feeling it die, its last breath. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, he raised it from him from the dead so that you could have a new identity. And so right now, God is speaking something new over you a new word is coming into your head. And that is, you are so, so faithful. You are very generous. You're so generous. I'm going to use you to be a reconciler for the conflict in your family. That's the identity I'm giving to you. So you're going to be a reconciler. I'm going to make you a pioneer. I'm going to send you into a new place. And you're going to bring your new identity into that new place. And you're going to start seeing the fruit come all around you. I'm going to make you an advocate for those who need to be advocated for. I'm going to ha- I'm going to make you a voice of mercy and justice for those who are only receiving injustice. I'm going to make that part of who you are. That's your identity. So the Lord is putting new things into you. And why is he able to do that? Because you're the presence of God here on earth. It used to be a temple. The holy place used to be a place that you went in there, and you went in there in a bad way, you died. Where's the holy place now? It's you. It's you. Because the Holy Spirit is pouring His love into you and He is the presence of God in you. And so you have a new identity. So I'm going to go ahead and ask the musicians to come up and we're going to enter into our time of communion. As they come, if you would like someone to pray this with, if if you have struggled with your identity like I did, I want to be able to, give, to, to pray with you. I want someone to have a chance to pray with you. If you feel God speaking to you and saying, hey, I want you to pray for someone else, go find them and pray with them. So as we transition into our time of communion, one of my favorite stories of the Bible it's in the last chapters of the book of Luke. There's these two guys, and they're wandering, they're, they're walking away from Jerusalem, and they're very, very sad. And the reason they're very, very sad is because Jesus had died, and they were hoping that he was the Messiah, but how does is, how is a Messiah die? And they're very dark, and they're very depressed. And as they're walking, they find that a third guy has joined them, but they don't really know who he is. And as he's joining them, he, he says, why are, why are you guys sad? And they're really surprised by this because they're like, don't you read Fox News? I mean, don't you watch CNN? I mean, Jesus died. We had so much hope for Jesus, but he died. And Jesus is, in the third guy, spoiler alert, Jesus starts explaining to them through the Old Testament all the places where he was going to come and die. And they're, they're caught up by these stories. They still don't know who he is. They're caught up by these stories. And they get to, the, to where they were going and it's at night and, and, this, and the third guy, Jesus, was going to leave them and they said, no, 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 no. Hey, wait. No, no, don't leave. We want to have a meal with you. And so, the third guy, he stays. And they get out the meal, you know, bread and the wine. And the guy does something weird. He breaks the bread and he blesses it. And what Luke tells us is that when he blessed it, it was revealed to them who he was. They saw his identity and he vanished. Jesus was revealed to them in his new identity through the table. So it's my heart today, this table, it's for believers. This is is something that believers celebrate, but it's my desire today that as we reflect on the exchange that happened for us, that is represented in the bread and the wine, that Jesus reveals himself to you in a deeper and fresh way. And so... And so we're going to have a time of reflection. You can go ahead and come through the middle up here. The, those that are serving communion will come forward, and they will hand it to you. And then you can make your way back to the seats, your seats, and then we will have communion together.